I can't tell you how delighted I am to be here this morning, and I'm not going to talk about your past. No, I'm not going to do that again, I promise. I am going to do um, a few things that, uh, quite frankly, are going to cause you to not like me. I, I'm, I'm going to say some things that's going to be problematic. I'm going to say some things that are going to challenge you. I might even hurt your feelings. And I know, it's okay. As I get through this, though, as I end the sermon, uh, I have got my truck parked just outside this door, pointed towards the exit, and I will be leaving uh, very, very quickly. As soon as I find Philippians, I'll be good. There we go. So Philippians, and I, I guess I get the honor of a closing out the book, and I'll be honest with you, these passages, uh, these verses at the end of Philippians, in my mind, are quite challenging. They are, in effect, uh, probably the most significant verses we can um, look at from a contemporary perspective. Um, there is words here that hopefully are going to challenge you to think in different terms as, as you leave this building. Paul, as he writes this book, as you're aware, is in a, a Roman prison. And the reason he's in this Roman prison is the same reason he was in all the prisons that he was ever in. He was a troublemaker. He's there because of conflict. Paul's message was never one of appeasement or, or you know, glad tidings, though he did greet people gladly and wish them grace and peace and all of those things. He'll do that again just before we finish. But the point is, Paul was very much about getting in people's faces and helping them understand what it is they're actually up against. And more times than not, that created a lot of conflict. And frankly, he has a great role model in the person and work of Jesus. How many times did you see Jesus trying to appease people? Inversely to that, how many times do you see Jesus confronting the Pharisees almost, no, not almost, every time he finds himself in their face? It, it's about conflict, and we're coming to the, to the end of this book, and he's sort of culminating perhaps uh, with the results of all that conflict. Um, Paul has been, as a result of these conflicts, he's been flogged, he's been beaten with rods, he's been incarcerated any number of times, he was sent off and shipwrecked, uh, snake bit. You name something and Paul has experienced it because of his, his assault on the world around him for the kingdom. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Before I do, though, I want to tell you that I think there are two verses in this passage that are probably the most misunderstood, if not the most misused verses in the New Testament, and I'm going to be sharing those before we're finished. Uh, and, and before I start with this passage, we need to go back, I'm sorry, to Philippians 3.20. You don't have to go there because I'm going to give it to you. There's just a phrase in there that I want to point out. Paul says we're to be citizens of heaven. And what he's inferring there is we need to have a heavenly mindset as opposed to an earthly mindset. We need to think in terms of, of the eternal as opposed to in terms of the temporal. I work uh, with Kendrick with uh, disaster relief. And the question that comes up all the time is how come bad things happen to good people? And there's almost all the time there is a, an impossible answer to that question. I don't know why this bad person's this good person's house burned down. I can't, I can't answer that question in temporal terms. 
but in eternal terms, which in eternal terms, which are far beyond the ability for you to I, I to understand, in the eternal scheme of things, um, there is purpose. There is purpose in everything that happens. And we have a driving force in, in, in the God we serve for those things to occur. Um, yep. So, let's get into a little bit here. Uh, this is uh, Ephesians, and I'm going to read from verse um, 10 through 13. He says, <laughs> he's not going to say it without my putting on my glasses, I'll tell you that right on. There we go. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. No, that's not the one I want. <laughs> he said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying that because I am in need, I have learned, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul's in prison. He's in a Roman prison, and maybe you know this already. In a Roman prison, um, it wasn't uh, three square meals a day. If you're in a Roman prison, you're completely dependent upon friends and family to bring you things like, oh, I don't know, food. Or if you had a supply of money, you could pay for that inside the prison. But as far as your day-to-day sustenance was concerned, Paul is completely dependent upon outside sources to help him get from day-to-day. And what he's sharing here is, I I, I appreciate you getting this to me, and I understand why you hadn't gotten me this help, because you hadn't heard. But now they had heard that he was in prison, and so sent this to him. But the most important thing here is is his... um, sort of uh, end result. He says, I am not saying this because I'm in need. He wasn't in need, but what he was was, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. And I have a phrase stuck in my notes that I want to give you right here. He, He lived a life without lack. It's not about what we want, it's about what we need, and we have a provider who gives that, and Paul lived out a life without lack. He really didn't struggle with, with the temporal stuff. Um, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Here's, I love this. He says, but I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And here comes one of, those first, one of the first of the two verses that are misunderstood or, or misused. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And here's where we, get it. we miss it a little bit. Some of us have um, uh, versions in our Bibles that says, for I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And that's not what the Greek says. The Greek says, I can do all of this. All of what? All of that struggle. All of that incarceration. All of that difficulty. All of those issues that life, the world, the, the temporal world is putting upon me. He says, I basically can stand up to that. Why? Because he gives me the strength to do that. We need to be careful about that verse if we read it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because, because frankly, um, that word I can can be really dangerous. I can create, I can generate a tremendous ministry. I can become a, a gold medal Olympic swimmer. 
I can solve the world's problems. I can, I can, I can. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but there's no promise that God is going to do that for you. He is going to help you. He's going to provide for you, and he's going to give us everything we need to accomplish, to survive. Let me change that, to thrive in the environments that we find ourselves. I can do all things. No, I can do all this through God who strengthens me. Um, God does not strengthen us for all that we want to accomplish. God, uh, God provides for us in us being able to live out his will in our lives. We need to be real <laughs> careful right here too because what we, we have this propensity to drag out the, the MacGyver verse you know, that's the verse that solves all life's problems. When life throws a curveball at us, when, when, when difficulties come down the road, we, we traditionally drag this verse out. In a, in a disaster relief situation, I've, I've told the teams that I've been with, if I hear you use this verse in the hearing of the people that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, I will hit you in the back of the head with a stick. Do you know what the verse is? It's, for God causes all things to work together for the good and to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That's true. But it's to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose and God causing all things to work together for the good. You mean like being in prison? You mean like being in conflict? You mean my... my my life is falling in around me and I have no control over what's going on. And, and in a temporal sense, if we think about that in temporal terms, that gets to be very, very confusing. But if we think of it in eternal terms, what's God actually trying to do? What's God trying, actually trying to accomplish? And let me just give you an example. Something terrible happens to you. Don't care what it is. It could be a big thing or a little thing. And... and, and And at that point in time, you have people around you, people inside the church, good, strong Christian people, and people outside the church, the people that you work with, the one that live next door, and that kind of stuff, and you have an amazing possibility, you have amazing uh, um, uh, capacity right there to demonstrate how someone who believes in the strength and power of the Lord Jesus Christ in their life to get you through that difficult situation. And maybe that was God's original intent. Maybe that difficult set of circumstances, what God is a, is a gift that God wanted to give to those people who are look, looking in upon your life. There's a passage in the Old Testament, actually it's a couple, two or three times, talks about God's blessings. And the passage, the, the phrase goes, God will bless us filled, shaken, pressed down, and running over. And, and those blessings come in a variety of ways. And, and, and you've got to ask yourself the question, why would God want to bless me, filled, shaken, pressed down, and running over? He says this to Israel. And the answer is pretty, pretty easy. God put Israel in, a bunch of, in the middle of a bunch of people who didn't know him, didn't recognize him, didn't want to know him. You know, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergesites, the Philistines, all those folks. And they, when God does that to this tiny little nation, this all, nearly powerless nation until David arrives, when God blesses them like that, they have no choice but to ask the, uh, what I'll call the missionary question. What is it that you guys have that we don't? And the answer is we have a God who provides. 
We have Jehovah Jireh. We have a God who blesses. We have a God, and all of a sudden, they, they want that. The same is true in our life. God blesses us, filled, shaken, pressed down, and running over. And why does he do that? Because he puts us in the middle of people that we love and like who need to be encouraged and or the people who don't know him at all. And when we find ourselves with those difficult situations confronting us, and we, we exercise those situations to his honor and his glory, we get blessed. And more importantly, they get blessed, and they're left with nothing other than the opportunity or nothing other than the question that says, why is this happening to you, and how is it that you're able to get through it? And the answer is pretty easy. Well, it's Jesus. That, that negative, terrible, awful thing that happens to us is a blessing if we think in terms of living life as a citizen of heaven. If we think in terms of living life uh, from an eternal perspective and not a temporal perspective. So then he goes on, and he's going to talk about this generosity. This is uh, verses 14 through 18. He says, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the earlier, early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me um, aid more than once when I was in need. Parentheses, when he was in prison yet another time. Not that I desired your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I receive full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And basically what he's doing there is thanking them at the end of this book for all the help that they had been. And this is material help. This is either money or foodstuffs or perhaps even times there were people who were sent along to continue to provide aid to Paul. But now Paul uh, has a strong sense that the, the Philippian church has sent everything that he needs, frankly, and, and then some. And then, <laughs> and then we get to one of those other verses. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in his glory in Christ Jesus. And, and, and please note again, it says he'll supply all of your needs and not all of your wants. I'm got necessarily, I didn't necessarily get tangled up in that, in the riches for his glory, but I am kind of want to zero in on that, what it is about supplying need. There's a, um, <laughs> they say that all work and no plagiarism makes Niels a dull preacher. And I have to tell you this next session I just stole. I mean, I just absolutely ripped it off from, a, from my pastor. Uh, he he kind of showed me a word that I had not seen before. And to be honest with you, it has changed one of the major perspectives of my life. And it's all about terrible things happening to me. Okay, I have it so good. It, terrible things don't happen to me. Okay, uh, yeah, we'll just leave all that alone. It comes, I'm get to, it comes out of John 11. In John 11, it's the story of Jesus raising um, Lazarus from the dead. 
And you know the story as well as I do. If you've been to Vacation Bible School, anybody been to Vacation Bible School? Thank you very much. You've heard this story 17 times. I've heard this story 18 times. Not that I'm better than you, but I'm older than you. And there's a word in that story that I hadn't seen. And he pointed it out, and frankly, it's the smallest word in the entire story, but in my mind now, it's the most impactful. Um, the servants of Mary and Martha come to Jesus. Jesus is up in, up in uh, Galilee, and, and they live in Bethany, which is a couple of miles away from Jerusalem, considerably south, three days' journey. And they come to him and say, Master, your, your, um, your beloved friend, Lazarus, is sick unto death. I'm being a little loose with the translation, but it's a case of being sick unto death. And it, you know the story, right? And Jesus, Jesus decides he's going to wait out. The word that starts the phrase when it starts to talk about Jesus waiting is so. It says, so Jesus waited three days. Go and look it up. I'm talking about verse um, 11.6. It starts with a so. Your, your, your beloved friend Lazarus is sick unto death, so Jesus waited three days so that Lazarus would die on purpose. In verse 4, he says, this is, not really sure why this is going on, but this is so the glory of God can be made manifest through this situation. This really difficult situation, it, it, it's upon him that, that if he stays and Lazarus dies, God, his Father, and he himself are going to realize glory. It's a very positive and constructive thing. Sometimes bad things happen to us so we can have an impact on the people that are around us, so we can have an impact on the kingdom around us, so we can have an impact in eternity. It's amazing to me the time frames of some of the things that happen. You know, I, I, every now and then you find someone who's a mom who's, who's prayed for their, their child for forever and that child has never come to Christ. And, and, and they perish. And you ask yourself, you know, were, were, her, were her prayers in vain? And the answer is no. No, it's not. Were they answered in her lifetime? No, they weren't. But, but you can be sure either the person they were praying for was impacted or the, person, the people around her or him who were watching that ministry go on were impacted. The, the fact that we pray and the fact that God doesn't answer us immediately really doesn't mean anything. God has three answers to every prayer. yes. No, and wait. And the wait is the toughest one, but the wait at times can be the most impactful. Um, so let's get to 21. And God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, then he says, uh, greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus. The brother, brothers and the sisters who are with me send greetings. All of God's people here send you greetings. And here's the, don't miss this, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. This prison is basically in the basement of Caesar's house. 
And Paul, in chains, in the basement, in one form or another, has had enough impact on the people that have come to him, the people who know he's there, the people that have visited, to where the, the household itself has become impacted for the kingdom. Simply because we're in difficult situations, simply we're up against dire straits, doesn't mean we're out of the game. Perhaps we're even more in the game. We're more in the, in the throes of working for the kingdom when the difficulties come upon us. Paul definitely doesn't let an opportunity slip, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Grace, I'm sorry, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and with your spirit. Amen. Okay, so that's the scripture. Then there's the hard part. It's, it's the application. What, what does that mean as far as us today? And I have, I have questions to start this. If you consider the world in which you find yourself, if you consider the world that you're living in today, do you find yourself in conflict? Let me just throw out some words, help you out a little bit. Uh, the, the Sisters of Perpetual, whatever it was. Indulgence, yeah, thank you very much. That, that bother you at all? I have to be perfectly honest with you. I told you there's gonna be things I'm gonna tell you that you're not gonna like, I'm a, I'm a Giants fan. Should I leave now? Uh, I, I'm so glad they showed up at, at your stadium as opposed to mine. You know what I'm saying? I hate to say that. But, but he, I just use that as an example. Oh, and last night's game was great, wasn't it? Oh, well, no, we'll talk about that at all. 15 to nothing. Yes. Anyway, the whole point is that is representative of the world in which we live. I mean, you've got uh, Target. You've got... Um, the North Face, I'm shocked to find the North Face. You've got, it's a case of go woke or go broke, you know, and, and, and we're finding ourselves in conflict. There is coming a time, let me get back to this, there is coming a time when, when you personally, by yourself, are going to find yourself in conflict with the world. The reason we're going to find ourselves in conflict with the world is because there's three philosophies that basically are, are butting heads. The three philosophies are humanism, postmodernism, and a Judeo-Christian belief system. Humanism. Humanism says man is the apex. Humanism says that there isn't anything beyond us. We are it. Humanism believes in, in chance. They believe in... Um, sorry... They believe in chance, they believe in evolution, and frankly, when you die, that's it. There, there's nothing else. They're, they're going to go back and they're going to start with uh, Stephen Hawking's singularity, and, and so much time has, has elapsed and so many opportunities for chance has occurred that you are who you are today, and that's why. Well, sorry, I'm not very humanistic. Here's my, I, my uh, undergrad was in bio-sci, I'm a biology major and science minor, and here's just let me, let me give you a little secret. Okay, you ready for a secret? If evolution was true, we would be up to our kneecaps in missing links. If evolution was true, we would have more missing links than you could possibly imagine for every species and subspecies. They have a hard time with that. That's okay. I have others, but we're just going to leave you with that one. 
Postmodernism. Postmodernism is even actually more problematic. Postmodernism will say, hey, you know what? If you want to believe in eternity, you just help yourself. Go for it. God bless you. Postmodernism says with Pilate, who is speaking to Jesus, what is truth? How shall we define truth? In this day, in the day in which you and I live, there is no right and wrong. In this day, the day in which you and I find ourselves facing a community out there that is very uh, open and receptive and we use all the words inclusive and all that stuff, okay, that, all those things are cool as long as we define them correctly, but as far as that community out there is concerned, their truth is their own truth and, and they get the opportunity to define what that truth is. And that truth really has no place really has no place for someone who uses words like I am the way and the truth and the life. If he is the way and the truth and the life, then what we're saying basically, I'm just using logic, is they're wrong and we're right. And we're coming to the day very, very quickly if we're not there already where if you deny my truth then you must be a hater. If, if you tell me that what I believe to be right is wrong, you, you must hate me. We're there already. And, and it's getting weirder and weirder and weirder. I have a, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that's my wife right there. She's watching everything, taking notes, and I'm going to hear about this sermon when we get home. <laughs> I have either, I think, I have a granddaughter who goes to a school and there's a girl in that school who identifies as a cat. That's funny. What's scary is the school is okay with that. That's scary. I've been trying to talk my grandson into going to school and for about five days I want him to identify as a Rottweiler. We're not even going to go there. We'll just leave it alone. But the, the whole point is, the whole point is we're living in a really crazy world. And the crazier it gets, the more wrong we're going to be. The crazier it gets, the more difficult it's going to be to stand up and say, I believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The more difficult the, wor the world gets, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to confront that world with the Christian experience. Now, I'm, I'm projecting way out in front, but has it occurred to you that maybe there's a day coming around down the road where this building is considered, a, you know, a threat? No. <laughs> where this... No, I'm just projecting. The whole point is... Our relationship with the world is going to become more and more and more difficult. And it's today that you and I have to decide how we're going to respond to that. Today is the day we need to start thinking in terms of praying and thinking and reading the Bible with new eyes that are going to give me a perspective on what that world's ultimately going to look like because... That day is coming for each and every one of us, if it hasn't come already. You know of people, I'm guessing, you, some of you know of people who have already been confronted with their Christian experience, 
and how in conflict it may be in their work environment. I don't choose to tell you what my pronouns are. Really? Yeah, well, check the exit sign over the door. It says X, it, bye-bye now. We're coming to a day that's very, going to be very, very difficult to stand up and demonstrate who, who you are and how you are. Let me give you an example of what postmodernism looks like or the end result. It's from the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Judges, and frankly a few of the books after the book of Judges and even in some of the minor prophets, there is a phrase, it's used over, and in the book of Judges, it's used seven times. And, and you read the phrase every time one of the judges or one of the individuals that's trying to point Israel back to the Lord, back to God, and back to a sense of righteousness. When that individual who has authority and everything's going well, when they die, the next thing you read is, and I'm quoting from the New American Standard, it's not going to be in the NIV, it's slightly different. The New American Standard says, and I quote, and each man did what was right in his own eyes. That's postmodernism from an Old Testament perspective. And then please read within a half a chapter of reading that verse, pardon my language here, Israel has gone to hell in a handbasket. Because each man is defining what is right in their own eyes, and the conflict begins. And the end result is chaos and loss. I believe that there is a God. I'm going to hold these now. I forgot how to give a sermon. I haven't done a sermon in so long. I forgot my format. And I, I don't have an iPad. Everybody who's cool now has iPads. I, I, I don't have one of those. So I, I, I'm stuck with pen and ink. Just, I'll just throw them on the floor from now on. I believe that there is a God who creates. My Bible tells me so. I believe that that God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. I think, I believe that everything that is, everything that is can be put into one of two categories and only two categories. I believe there is a creator and I believe there's a created and nothing else. I believe that the creator, by what he has done, what I have read he has done in scripture, has my best interest at heart. Yes, he does cause all things to work together for my good if I'm called according to his purpose. But that's how I go about deciding the decisions of my life. The big question that we have to ask, that you have to ask, and frankly, everybody has to ask, and it's, it's a, if you find yourself in debate, it's a great question to use. What is your authority? What do you use to make decisions? I, I can give you a hint as to how you can figure out what your authority is. You go take 15 minutes and a cup of coffee and look at your checkbook and your calendar, and you get a pretty strong sense of what your authority is. But, but asking what, who's your authority, how do you come about coming up with the answers that, that, to the questions that life throws at you is critically important. And if, the, if you don't believe in an omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent 
creator God, then who do you believe? What is your authority? And 90% of the time, the answer is going to be each man did what was right in his own eyes. They are their own authority. That's humanism. That's postmodernism. Um, did you notice I'm not throwing them on the floor? I'm trying to be neat. Um, yeah, so there is a day, there's a day coming when you find yourself in a public situation and you acknowledge the Bible as your authority, you're going to be labeled a hater. It's just as simple as that, and frankly, it's happening to one degree or another right now. But you're in good company. I will tell you, you're in very good company. In John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, consider this, it hated me first. Jesus didn't come to make friends. He came to make family, but he didn't come to make friends. And, and so it's, it's like, okay, now, now it's, it's, it is what it is. We're going to find ourselves in conflict, and that conflict is going to impose tremendous pressure upon us. It's going to impose tremendous pressure pain on us, but if we'll be a, the citizen of heaven, if we'll look at, at the world in which we live with, eternal, with an eternal perspective, we realize that all of that is ultimately going to be for the good. Let me give you a historical fact. According to church history, the church never grew so fast as when the Romans were trying to kill Christians as fast as humanly possible in the Colosseums of the world. As they're putting Christians to death by whatever means they use, and I don't mean to be graphic here, you know the stories, as the Romans are putting the Christians to death, their death is influencing people inside that stadium watching this occur. When that is happening, the people standing in that stadium have no option but to ask the question, what kind of a God is it that those people would be willing to allow that to happen to themselves and to their families. And then they would leave that place and go ask important questions. I need to know about that God. I need to know from, from whence that God cometh. I, I need to understand why that just, what I just saw was horrendous. How could that possibly happen? The church never grew so fast as when the Romans were killing Christians as fast as possible. If the Bible is your authority, then that conflict is coming soon. We should be praying now, thinking, planning what the response is going to be. And hopefully, hopefully when, when you're stuck <laughs> with answering that question, the words of your heart will be, um, I can do all of this through him who strengthens me. I want to leave you with this. There was a, a missionary. His name was uh, Jim Elliott. He, he was uh, killed in 1954. He was working with uh, native uh, individuals in Central or South America, I think Central. And he has a great verse that was found. He has a great statement it was found in his diary after his death. And the statement is this, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That, to me, is the ultimate 
eternal perspective. That, to me, is the ultimate declaration of a citizen of heaven. And that's the call. That's the invitation this morning. We're not going to have an invitation. I want you to, this morning, I, I, not this morning, I want for the, for, the, for the rest of your life to you consider, for you to consider where your citizenship is. I want you to consider for the rest of your life what you're willing to pay, to give up. Let me change that ever so slightly. To invest in your citizenship. That's the call of God on our life. That's the example that Jesus and Paul both gave us. And let me promise you this. If you live that life, (laughs) the retirement from that life is just going to be amazing. But if you live that life, your life will be one filled, shaken, pressed down, and running over. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we are humbled by what you've done for us. We are challenged by the call you've put on our life. We are excited about answering that call. There's anxiety, there's nervousness, there's fear, but we know that all of that can be overcome by you and by your spirit the spirit of grace and of peace that lives in all of us. Father God, I I pray that you would um, burden us for this world, that you would give us opportunity to express fearlessly you in this world. And then, Father, as, as, as that puts us in difficult situations, help us to rest confidently in the fact that ultimately you are still in charge. And, Father, we pray all this to just one end, that Jesus, your son, who you gave to us, realizes all the honor, all the glory, and gets all the credit. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.